Kids in Space. You want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. The funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed. So, Elizabeth, did you ever want to be an astronaut as a child? I can't say that I have. I mean, space is fascinating. I love to learn about different planets, but I don't know about jumping in a spaceship and going somewhere else. I remember getting this space pen as a kid that could write upside down, Mm -hmm. and it was, like, super cool. So I was like, okay, I could maybe be an astronaut. This is probably around grade three or so. Uh, But then grade Mm -hmm. six math really did me in. Uh, So I (laughs) had to promptly look for a different career after. I remember space ice cream. Uh, yes, yes. The freeze-dried ice cream. That was awful. <laughs> we need more snacks on this show. Yes, more snacks from space. <laughs> well, for the past few months, Edmonton students from dozens of schools have had their sights set on the stars. And when they needed a little extra funding to get them there, ECF was happy to provide a grant for $10,000 to help cover some of the costs. For a second year, Edmonton Public Schools are taking part in the Student Space Flight Experiment Program. The program teaches kids from Canada, the U.S., and other parts of the world STEM skills. Since September, the students have been competing to design many laboratories with one ultimate goal, having their work loaded into a rocket and launched 400 kilometers up to the International Space Station. Our correspondent Scott Lilwall got a chance to meet with the winning group. And he talked to a few of the people behind the program about why the experiment in real-world space science is such a success. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Your science class, you know, for the first day, it's like, well, what are we going to learn this year? And it's like, well, I don't know. How about we send something to space? There's no better hook, right? This is, this is the hook of a lifetime. first arrived to Highland School to talk about the spaceflight program, I was met by two very excited educators. My name is Stacy Maybe, um, and um, I was, when I was a science consultant for Edmonton Public Schools last year, um, I was a part of the initiation of the whole program, um, but now I'm assistant principal at Highlands Junior High School. I'm Lindsay Adrian. I'm the supervisor of Career Pathways at Edmonton Public Schools, and our team helps uh, schools to help students uh, find authentic ways to explore future possibilities. The program is basically a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, or at least for us it's been once-in-two-year opportunity for um, students to develop um, from the very beginning an experiment. that can go up to the space station and be carried out in a microgravity situation, um, which uh, allows the kids a chance to to compete in almost like a real life um, experiment process and research process, um, where legitimately at the end, the carrot is that one of the, the experiments will actually and literally go to space. So to be carried out by the astronauts, come back down and the kids get to work with the data. So it is, It is a once in a lifetime. 
opportunity for kids. Well, and what we really like about it is, is in everything we're trying to do in the classroom is we're trying to help students make that connection to what they're learning in the classroom and making that connection to the world around them, whether that making connection to future career pathways, um, just to interests that they might want to pursue in the future. And, and you want more authentic way to do that than to really uh, participate in a process, like Stacy said, that actual scientists do. And, and, and our students have been so lucky and our teachers uh, to work with uh, uh, professionals from the University of Alberta who have come and mentored them and have really given them a lot of feedback. This is the second year that Edmonton Public Schools has taken part in the spaceflight competition, which is led by the National Centre for Earth and Space Science Education in the U.S. Stacy says it's a pretty intensive process. Students don't just come up with the idea for the experiment. They're responsible for the research, the testing, and advocating for their idea. All things that real-world scientists have to do when conducting an experiment. But the payoff is worth it. Last summer, grade 9 students from David Thomas King School got to see their experiment launch alongside 40 others from Canada, the US, and Brazil. They wanted to see how microgravity affects the germination of watercress. So when school started in September, both students and teachers were excited to take part. And this time, Stacy had a surprise for them. A video from US astronaut Ricky Arnold shot aboard the ISS. We wrote the script for him, okay? So they said, just write a script, say what he wants to say, and then send it to him. So I said, okay, this is insane. I'm sending a script to space. And uh, I did, and I actually really hadn't really thought about anything coming back. And then in my inbox of my my school email account uh, that morning, I, I clicked on it, and here it was, this Hi, email, Arnold, right, video from the International Space Station, and it was addressed to me. I'd like to send a big hello to the students and teachers of Edmonton. To those of you who will be participating in Mission 13 of the Student Spaceflight Experiment Program, congratulations. This is your chance to be a part of some exciting science and possibly have your microgravity experiment conducted right here on the International Space Station. Uh, as a science teacher, I'm not going to say, like, my, I was, I could have quit right then. I was done. It was awesome. Um, and so for, you know, and then I showed everyone we knew and, and we started passing it around. And, and then, and the kids too, like, I mean, as a teacher, I think they probably showed it every day almost in their class because there's, there's, there's nothing that's more intriguing in some ways than space. And, and that to, to see that, like Lindsay said, the relevancy and the authentic learning in that situation was all you needed to hook those kids in for, for the year. Getting them hooked is one thing. Actually designing an experiment is another. And getting things to space isn't easy. The idea is lots of times kids look at science or experiments and, and they don't really see the value or why you would do the science. And so there's a lot of learning behind what kind of questions would we have about a situation like the International Space Station and that microgravity situation from, from what they eat to nutritional things to wellness. What, what might we want to study? And then the second thing that comes about because kids kind of start to think all over the map about that is leading them through basically the scientific process, but with the idea that the experiment that would be conducted and everything that goes along with it happens in like a 11 centimeter tube. The constraints are huge, but they have to design something that they want to study that could be studied in that apparatus um, that is important to them. And then away they go. They start, they start coming up with ideas.
I'm in a science classroom in Highland School, where Sophie is holding up a tiny plastic tube with bits of colored tape on either end. Another tube just like this one will soon be loaded into a rocket and launched to the International Space Station. The Grade 9 Highland student, along with her three group members from Rossland Junior High, had their experiment picked as one of this year's winners, one of only two from Canada. Um, when it first got picked, I was really shocked. I was like, my teachers were like going crazy, and I was like, wow, that's really cool, I'm going to space. But then after we told the whole school um, at our winter dance, it was like, it really started to set in like, wow, like my experiment's actually going to space. And after I told my family and everything, it just became more real. And I was just, I'm just really, really excited. Today I'm a little bit tired. I have a lot of homework, but I'm really excited. Now just to look at it, the tube seems like it's filled with just water. But inside are a wealth of microscopic brine shrimp eggs. Once the astronauts are ready to do the experiment, they'll open up a clamp holding the tube closed. That will allow the eggs access to the food they'll need to hatch and grow. After some time, another clamp will release a chemical to preserve the tiny brine shrimp. Astronauts will then study how the creatures grew while on the space station. Sophia says they'll then compare the results with a similar tube that stays on Earth. They're looking to see if the microgravity environment of the space station has any effect on how the shrimp grow either the number of them, or if they change in shape or size. It's the second time Sophia has taken part in the spaceflight program, and a lesson she learned from her previous attempt were a big part of this experiment. And when my pre-AP class first heard that we were going to do this experiment, I was really excited because we did it last year. Um, I did it on cheese molding, and it, was, it wasn't the best. It was, it was not good at all. I thought last year I was going to win, but it was really bad. And then this year, I did this experiment, and... I was kind of like, okay, it was a lot of work. I'm finally done. I'm not going to win. No way. But then I ended up winning this year. I've always like really liked science, whether it was space or like animals or cells or whatever it was. So like seeing everything come together, it was really cool. Sophia's group of four actually started as two separate groups. Sophia at Highlands and her groupmates in a grade seven class at Rosslyn. Both of them came up with the idea of studying brine shrimp independently. With two similar experiments, they were given a choice. They could either compete or they could collaborate. And in the interest of science, the four decided to join forces. Alina Minera, the teacher for the Roslyn students, says that's the kind of real-world dilemma that just can't be taught in a textbook. True, true in real science. This is, uh, this is an opportunity that is not, not very typical in, in a junior high, for sure. One of my interests as a teacher is how do I get my students to try on different careers and how do I get them to see the connection between what they're learning in school and what their future looks like. Uh, when I was introduced to this program through Edmonton Public Schools Career Pathways Unit, I just knew that I needed to do this project because this is it doesn't get more real than science. They had to choose a system, they had to design an experiment, they had to write a proposal and compete for that research spot on the International Space Station. For all intents and purposes, these are microgravity researchers. They have done what any researcher who wants to study a system in microgravity had to do. So the opportunity to provide my to provide my students, sorry, with the opportunity to really try on scientist and researcher as a career was just incredible. The student spaceflight experiment program has been sending these mini labs to space for about nine years now, but the origins of the program stretch back much, much further, to one moment fifty years ago. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, I was 11 years old when I saw Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walk on the surface of the moon. 
And it impacted me so dramatically that I knew I wanted to be a space explorer when I grew up. Dr. Jeffrey Goldstein is an astrophysicist and science educator. He's the executive director of the National Center for Earth and Space Science Education and the person behind the idea for the spaceflight program. There are these moments in time that each of us experiences that changes who we are, changes our lives. Um, and so when I became an astrophysicist and I got involved in science education and STEM education more generally, I felt uh, from a personal vantage point the, the need to pass that forward to, through this program, hopefully create these moments in time for the next generation so that they might look at science and human exploration differently and might even consider going into a career in science, technology, engineering, and math. We humans are born curious. We're born to ask questions. We're born to explore. And we're born to poke our world um, around us. I mean, parents remember infants, you know, interacting with their corner of the universe, and it's a great time to take videos um, of them exploring near versus far and up versus down and color and texture. Dr. Goldstein says that kind of approach is called inquiry-based learning, asking questions, poking things, and solving problems. It's how we learn as babies, and it's a huge part of how scientists, engineers, and researchers do their jobs. But in many classrooms, formal education classrooms at the district level, um, students walk in and science is taught as a book of knowledge to memorize rather than a, a journey owned by the student. And so in many science classrooms, science looks like it's pretty boring, that it's just stuff to memorize. But that's not how science is done. This is how science is done. And one comment that comes back from teachers all the time is we had no idea that our students were capable of doing this. And so we, we often don't give our, our students, our children, enough credit as inquiry-based, evidence-based explorers. And as reviewers, we are often blown away with creative new ways that students come up with to use this mini laboratory. The benefits of that real-world experience are pretty obvious for students like Sophia, those who already have a lot of interest in the sciences. But the program isn't just for the next generation of researchers. Lindsay says that even students who will never step foot in a lab after graduation are learning soft skills that they need. Critical thinking, communication, and all those other things that only can come with experience. And uh, they've been having, they've emailed scientists and and they've had conference calls. So even really just the soft skills that students have developed outside of the science and the written uh, work they've had to do, it's just been the competencies that they've developed cross-curricularly is, is really exciting. Even the collaboration with the mentors mm -hmm. and for students, you know, for them themselves, making phone calls and sending emails to an adult they never met and to a professional. And so the skills involved in that and again, like in such an authentic way. And there's a second part that emphasizes another side of the space program, the mission patch competition. Each school taking part in the program can also submit two designs for mission patches. These will be used to represent the rocket launches that will take their experiments to the space station. The mission patch portion of the program really demonstrated to students that in any industry, there are so many different career paths. So I can, I could potentially work at NASA as an artist. 
Mm-hmm. I could work at NASA in their human resources department. And so I think opportunities like this really make, again, that connection between what I'm learning in the classroom and to the world around me. And so whatever I'm interested in, uh, whatever my skills are, there are many uh, venues that I can use that skill in, right? So if I'm in, if I'm interested in math and accounting, I, I'm not just going to work for an accounting firm, right? I'm guessing there's accountants at NASA too. So I, I think they're doing that learning too. Lindsay referred to it as the soft skills, right? But it's that competency. And, and I think as teachers, it's the teaching between the lines. So it's, it's yeah, there's there's science knowledge and there's math knowledge and there's some English knowledge, but it's the, that idea of how do you foster imagination? How do you foster creativity? How do you work together as a team? You know, how are you humble in the process? How do you have ownership? How do you, all of those different things, communication skills. So it's, it's all of those things that I think we as teachers want to constantly foster in our students. And so it doesn't matter if it's directly tied to that kid or to, you know, that curriculum. It's creating, I think, just really, really good thinkers, right? And and that have um, all of the the attributes that, that we would want as, as parents and teachers. So it's in that way, the project is, it has an engagement that literally is pretty much like no other. And the crazy part of that is as a teacher, you have to buy into that, right? Because normally you'd be like, oh yeah, I know what I do, etc. And the way that this works in the development process meant that you had to turn probably everything you've ever done on its head. You had to sell it to the kids. You had to lead. The, I mean, it was an unbelievable undertaking for the teachers. Um, and But yet it's interesting because all those that bought in, almost all of them came back a second time. and And even more than that, I had multiple conversations with teachers that said, you know what? I'm never teaching science again in my whole life in the same way, right? Not I'm never teaching science again. They'll teach science again, but it'll be completely different because it, it, it generated a different way to look at the scientific process and not just as a, you know, a, a person who's just giving out knowledge, right? And really looking at what you said at the beginning, which is the critical thinking piece. You know, what is science and how does it function and why does it function? So... Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I hope we keep doing this for a really long time. Thanks very much to Scott Lilwall for bringing us that story. The next step is for the students' experiments to be sent to NASA for final testing and checks. The mini labs are scheduled for launch to the ISS sometime this summer. Very cool. All space talk has me thinking about our planet. Have you heard about the new podcast, What on Earth Can We Do? Is that a segue? Look, transitions are hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could just introduce Gregory Caswell, uh, who has this brand new podcast from the Alberta Emerald Foundation. Uh, Welcome to the show, Gregory. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about what the Alberta Emerald Foundation is. So the Alberta Emerald Foundation has been around for 29 years. We're a nonprofit charity that showcases and inspires environmental excellence in the province of Alberta. Um, we have a number of different programs. Our signature program is the Emerald Awards, uh, which recognizes and celebrates environmental excellence across all sectors in our province. Out of the Emerald Awards, we have the Sharing Stories Communication Strategy, where we share the stories of our Emerald Award recipients with our fellow Albertans in order to inspire and educate them on environmental matters. And then in addition to that, we also have youth grant streams where we can help support youth-led and youth-targeted environmental projects in the province. 
Uh, so why did you decide to start a podcast? Well, they're so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the real reason behind it was, uh, in addition to it being a very popular platform, uh, we saw a wonderful opportunity as the Alberta Emerald Foundation. We sit in a place of privilege where we come in contact with uh, the environmental leaders of our province who are really raising the bar in environmental practices. Um, myself, personally, I feel like I, I, even though I'm the executive director for the foundation, I'm probably not the best environmentalist. And realizing that, saw that maybe other people out there are in a similar position as I am, where they want to be doing more for the environment, but they just don't know where to start. And so being uh, in the position where we come in contact and recognize these environmental leaders, saw the opportunity to sit down with them and ask them the questions to find out what on earth can we do in regards to the environment. So what are some of the topics of the episodes that you've uh, released so far? Um, so it's a six-part series. Uh, each uh, episode covers a different theme. The first episode is on food waste. We also talk about renewable energy, land reclamation, uh, reuse, reduce, recycle, the youth movement, and then our final episode, we check in to see how we did on the suggestions that our guests have provided. So what have been some of the most interesting things that you've personally learned while producing the show and talking to these guests? Well, it was interesting because when we set out uh, Colleen, my co-host, and I, I think we were planning that throughout the course of the conversation that we were going to end up being environmental experts by the end of it. What I ended up realizing is that it's really about educating yourself and figuring out what practices work for you. Um, I don't think that anyone necessarily wakes up one day and they're perfect at being an environmentalist. It's really a day-to-day -day decision that you make. Um, and so what I realized is that I have good days and I have bad days. And I think that uh, another thing that I took away was just the power of composting uh, as food waste is becoming more and, more and more an issue that really a big solution to it is allowing it to decompose and then using that matter to grow new food. That's like super interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, maybe let's throw to a clip from episode one. On this episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen confesses about her eating habits when her husband is away. Gregory admits he's the problem, not the solution. And we figure out what we can do about food waste. Gregory. Colleen. This is our first episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Here we are. This is so exciting. Here's the launch. So the theme of today's episode is food waste. Yes. But first... We should probably introduce ourselves. Sure. Okay. So, I'm Colleen Nook. Uh, I run a little business called Hoopla Media, and uh, we do videos. And I'm Gregory Caswell, and realized that I've been pronouncing your last name wrong for the last four years. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people find the podcast? The podcast is available on every podcasting service, so you can find it on uh, iTunes. Google Play, um, Spotify. You can also find it directly off of our website. It's all embedded there, so at emeraldfoundation.ca. Excellent. Thanks for stopping by to tell us about it, Gregory. And we'll be sure to include a link to the show in our show notes so people know where to find it. And hey, listeners, uh, we've got another cool happening to tell you about. Yeah, if you're looking to create or expand a social enterprise idea, you should check out the Social Enterprise Bootcamp put on by Edmonton Community Development Corporation. 
This comprehensive boot camp will help workshop your idea, connect you with Edmonton's social enterprise community, and you will leave with a completed feasibility study that can then be used to seek financing for your idea. The boot camp begins March 4th, so head over to our show notes for more information and to find the registration link. Well, Elizabeth, did we cover everything? Almost. We have money to give away with some upcoming grants. Listen close. We're going to do this fast. First up are the ECF Community Grants. These grants are for charitable organizations and can provide up to $40,000 to support a variety of initiatives and needs. Applications are due March 1st. Next are the Belco Brasso Métis Awards. These awards range from two dollars to $10,000 and are for Métis students who are residents of Alberta. Deadline to apply is March 31st. And there are the Winspear Scholarships for Advanced Classical Music and the Renald and Vera Sheen Memorial Scholarship. Both of these awards focus on students who will study classical music and applications are also due on March 31st. If any of these sound like they could be for you or someone you know, head over to our show notes for links on more information. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to all of you amazing listeners for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. And your family. And your coworkers. And that person you see every day at the bus stop. And if you have time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are a big help. And you can follow us on Facebook, too. That's a great place to see pictures and share your thoughts with us. Thanks again for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonkink. And Andrew Paul. Until next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.